chapter seventeen of order number eleven this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org order number eleven by caroline abbott stanley chapter seventeen the barbecue the barbecue was to be at lone jack a modest little hamlet of one street taking its name from a solitary oak a black jack which stood near the roadside under its spreading branches were dug two years from that august day two trenches side by side in one was laid the federal in the other the confederate dead some of the very men who strolled over the grounds to-day chatting and joking with the friends and neighbours and brothers they fought to the death that day it was a bloody fight the old black jack did its best but it could not give a shadow from the heat for all who lay beneath it when the sun went down but the barbecue was on the other side over by the grove and nobody foresaw what the old tree was to witness in two short years perhaps it was the social instinct fostered by the barbecue that gave direction to the commemoration of that sanguinary day for certain it is that for forty years the lone jack picnic on the sixteenth of august the day of the battle has been a county institution to it come wagon-loads of farmers with their families and their baskets jolly parties of merry-makers from the neighbouring towns politicians with axes that can be sharpened here in a lump and not least oh no not least the dwellers on sinai it was precisely this concourse that made up the barbecue of eighteen sixty two congressional candidates were stumping the district and a gathering like this was too good an opportunity to miss everybody wanted to have his candidate's position clearly defined in sixty no man would be away who could get there the keswick crowd arrived just before noon they had a long way to go and had driven at a leisurely gait as had been planned beverly and sally gordon and liddy merryweather rode in the carriage with uncle reuben in the driver's seat and a generous hamper of provisions at his feet you all won't like barbecue fare mrs trevilian had said aunt viney will fix you up something at the last moment it was decided that it was too warm for horseback riding and virginia and tom followed in the buggy at a safe distance to avoid the dust one member of the carriage load looked back at every turn to see if they were in sight what do you keep looking out for asked liddy i feel a little afraid of this tire said gordon in some confusion he spoke in a low tone so that uncle reuben should not hear him dat tire's all right mars gordon sir hits de buggy war de danger is there was a peal of laughter at gordon's expense and uncle reuben drove a full mile trying to see where the laugh came in the buggy did have a loose tire and the carriage didn't but white folks was awful fond of haw-hawing they all reached the place about the same time and the three birds of brilliant hue shook out their ruffled plumage and chattered like magpies a little later colonel trevilian rode up on milo his big iron gray they would have time they decided to stroll around a little and see the lay of the land while uncle reuben was attending to the horses and getting things ready for dinner near the centre of the grounds was the arbour fashioned securely from stout hickory saplings some of them of nature's own planting and the rest sunk deep in the black earth to these supports were fastened transverse poles with smaller ones crossing them all held in place by hickory withes over the whole were laid leafy boughs fresh gathered 
and the result was a cool and shady dancing pavilion not to be scorned such a rustic pavilion is sometimes called in the west a bowery which gives it rather a rakish sound particularly if the capital b is imagined but spelled as its derivation would suggest a bowery dance is quite a harmless affair the arbor was large enough for nine sets at a time and was always taxed to the utmost when the lone jack blood was up the floor was level smooth as a tennis court and covered with a thick carpet of sawdust the men who had the work in charge protested against the waste of time and material in making it so thick but old bob ballantyne knew what he was about he had superintended the making of arbors a good many years for both dances and camp meetings just you wait till hank menifee and bud taggart get a-goin he said you'll see that sny gang kicks up a heap o' dust some of em don't know how to swing corners thout whirlin the girls around two or three times and makin their skirts stand out like balloons no sir you can't get too much sawdust for the sny gang not for a dance at one end of the arbor was a raised platform for uncle putney the black fiddler who from this elevation could make his stentorian voice heard to the remotest corner of the arbor he was in his glory when the nine sets were all going and bud taggart was getting in his best licks then he would literally rise to the occasion standing up where he could survey the field and issuing trumpet calls to the whirling stamping rollicking crowd around the arbor were placed rude benches patronized by women past their dancing prime who held their babies and looked enviously on saying them figures ain't near as pretty as the ones they had in our time my do you remember how jim force used to dance tucker bid taggart ain't a patchin to jim why jim would kick sawdust till you wouldn't know but twas a horse pawin these benches were used occasionally too by tired bells who protested that they could not wag a foot till they had rested but they and the envious ex-bells held possession there was no provision at lone jack for chaperones nor any need of it the theory of the community was that every dog should have his day and the young people who had every confidence and merited it had all the liberty they wanted unhampered by elderly females it being early the dancing was going on in a perfunctory sort of way which gave no hint of the height to which it would rise by three o'clock and the keswick party directed their steps to the banqueting place colonel trevilian acting as guide this was at the right of the arbor and a little way back long narrow tables formed of two boards supported by cross pieces set in the ground were planted under the shade of the hickories and oaks on either side were board benches similarly planted over which the banqueters male and female deftly stepped to seat themselves let's go where they are barbecuing said beverly liddy says she has never seen it done back at some distance the cooks were busy luckily they had nothing to do but to barbecue the meat for that required not a little attention old man collins was the prize barbecuer for the neighborhood and he had plenty of assistance they had dug deep pits the day before and started fierce fires in them feeding these with logs till they had a pit of solid coals over each of these inexhaustible broilers they had spitted the half of a beef colonel carter's best they said and colonel carter's poorest was good the pole on which the beef was hung was suspended across two forked sticks at the ends of the pit and the great roast was turned assiduously by attendants who basted it with vinegar pepper and salt it was a tedious process but the old-timers say there was never meat like it 
it seems now that it must have taken a youthful appetite plenty of outdoor air a long ride and a strong infusion of patriotism to make one see it so gordon whispered virginia as the others watched the cooks who is that man over near the other pit i don't believe he belongs around here it was a young man of twenty-three or four apparently well dressed and gentlemanly in appearance he was looking carelessly at the crowd as it surged now toward the tables i never saw him before rather nice-looking isn't he yes just then the man turned and looked straight at virginia an accidental glance of course but somehow it sent a thrill through her and yet she had never seen the man before why should his chance look affect her like this she said nothing to gordon about the feeling the trevilian party ate their fried chicken grated ham and beaten biscuits to say nothing of other toothsome dainties from a tablecloth on the grass with uncle reuben standing behind his miss virginia and pouring iced cherry bounce as it was needed colonel trevilian was too busy talking politics to waste the hour on a set of giddy young people so they had things all their own way there was a lull in the arbor during the dinner hour but uncle putney's voice was soon heard again first for forward ladies change his foot was keeping time with his bow and through their conversation was a running fire of calls ending generally with an upward tilt of the voice that nobody but a negro fiddler or a camp-meeting musician of the olden time can give and that none can understand save those who have heard it occasionally he would break into a tune when the plot thickened and the sawdust began to fly then with arms and feet and head all a-quiver in an ecstasy of time his voice would catch the infection and ring out in rhythmic exultation swing your pardners all around and all promenade they were in a full fling when the keswick party reached the arbor the seats were creaking and sagging portentously with their burden of matrons augmented now from the ranks of the elderly who could not withstand the witchery of uncle putney's bow and the sound of shuffling feet though they compromised with their consciences by keeping only one eye on the dance and decrying it openly as a device of the devil i was at the baptizing when matt dolaway jined the church and just look at her now kitten round thar like she want a professor just then there was a tangle in the set resulting from matt dalloway's inexperience it stirred the sluggish the flow of the cavalier's terpsichorean blood look at that she exclaimed in vexation they ain't gettin that figure right ef i wasn't so heavy and a church member i'd show em i've danced that figure many a time till four o'clock in the morning it was my favorite right one but i seen the folly of it she added recalled from her reminiscences by a smile on the face of her auditor and feeling that she had made an awkward admission i see the folly of it you had the fun of it first though said the woman who was patting her foot and longing to be on the floor she was hampered by no scruples it was the two small boys hanging to her skirts and the absence of partners they all see the folly of it when they are your age she was going to say size but refrained in a spasm of generosity the girls and young men from keswick were standing outside the arbor looking over the heads of the seated spectators in the set facing them was a girl tall and straight with a certain kind of ferocious beauty in her black eyes and scornful mouth and a willowy grace of motion she was watching the party with eyes that never once turned toward them why gordon virginia leaned across liddy who stood between them isn't that renee taggart yes oh do you remember that day yes he said quietly don't look at her and don't laugh she's watching us just then the girl lifted her head with a defiant gesture she fancied they were talking about her virginia had turned to her cousin 
and as he met the girl's eye gordon raised his hat and bowed the blood surged to her face she nodded and went on with the dance nobody knew that her heart was thumping so she could hardly hear the calls least of all hank menefee her partner who at this moment caught her round the waist and gave her the triple swing for which he was famed and which nobody enjoyed more than renee generally to-day she released herself angrily you needn't keep it up till i'm drunk she said what's the matter with you he asked eyeing her keenly renee could hardly have told herself while this by-play was going on gordon's attention was wandering to the crowd surrounding the arbor he was looking for familiar faces and bowing to this one and that suddenly his eyes fell upon the face of the young man that virginia had called his attention to at the barbecue fire for a minute they rested there who was he gordon wondered he seemed in the crowd and yet not of it for he was evidently but a looker-on taking no part in the festivities and speaking so far as gordon could see to no one his interest seemed less in the dance than in the people circling around the edge of the arbor and constantly changing as gordon stood looking at him a subtle change came over the man's face a gleam of something was it recognition or hate or satisfaction or a mingling of all three leaped into his eyes bent now like a basilisk upon some person or object on the other side of the big arbor gordon had once seen a snake charm a bird to its destruction this man's narrowed eyes and a certain swaying motion as he moved past intervening heads made him think of it he looked in the direction of that gaze he could see nothing to carry out the similitude that had suggested itself to him no helpless innocent bird was striving to free itself from that fateful spell his eyes fell only on old mr collins and his daughter and jim baird emmons baird's brother a country lout who was watching the dancers with open mouth and good-humoured smile gordon looked back to the charmer he would have to take his bearings again if he was to find out what caused that basilisk gaze but the man was lost in the crowd and when gordon turned back to where jim baird had stood he too was gone where is beverly suddenly exclaimed sally i've lost my bow she had not discovered it till now so absorbed was she in the scene before her though he had been gone a half an hour or more i saw him walking across the grounds with a young lady remarked mr caruthers a beauty with blonde hair who is she miss sally do you suppose it sounds like lois chandler returned sally she is a beauty has blonde hair and beverly nonsense sally how you talk interrupted virginia sharply come on tom let's look him up come sally two women turned to look after them they supposed the whole party was gone that's colonel trevilian's girl said one that one in the buff chambray ain't she a high stepper that's her cousin from virginia with her they say she's going to marry him these virginians are great on marrying cousins liddy looked up at gordon as the others moved off he was smiling down at her inscrutably do you believe it she asked he evaded it by a counter-question do you no i don't i hope not anyway why oh because because what she looked up at him with a glance which was half searching half coquettish i think she could do better nearer home i don't know where there would be any one nearer to her he purposely misunderstood he is her own cousin well she fluttered with a little sigh i hope she won't marry him she said it mainly because she hoped she would liddy was secretly a little in love with gordon herself the girls were getting their things together for the return when a pistol shot came from the direction of the grove back of the grounds what's that asked liddy somebody shooting at a target probably beverly replied you'll hear it again in a minute but they did not the girls went on folding shawls etc and chatting about the day's pleasures 
and explaining some of the local points to tom but beverly and gordon were becoming dimly conscious of some excitement in the air they were starting carelessly toward the grove when colonel trevilian rode up is reuben ready he said in a low tone to beverly you'd better start at once there's been trouble over yonder in the grove don't let the girls know anything about it but a man was shot just now shot cried beverly that was the pistol shot we heard then who was it and gordon asked in the same breath was it accidental it was jim baird no i don't believe it was accidental colonel trevilian wiped his forehead with a shaking hand he seemed strangely moved he fell dead with a bullet hole in the middle of the forehead god knows where this thing is going to end get off as soon as you can they did not tell the girls anything about it and that ride home was as gay as if death were not stalking amongst them colonel trevilian had stayed behind to see what could be done about jim baird who after all was his neighbor and there was nobody but uncle reuben to hold them in check they drove home by the light of the moon which flooded the prairie roads long before they reached keswick the quartet in the carriage sang till their throats ached rosalie the prairie flower and my old cabin home and the pirate's serenade and nobody sang with truer notes than gordon though the singing was a trifle mechanical and there was an undercurrent of wonder about the man that stood watching jim baird that day was he the one that fired that shot and why should he have selected jim baird as inoffensive a man as there was on the prairie if it had been emmons now that might have seemed reasonable for everybody said that emmons baird had a bad face it was well for gordon that they sang instead of talk for it left him freer to think and his thoughts were not all of jim baird and his tragic death virginia had tried to shift the load when they started from lone jack tom she said sweetly she had reasons of her own for wishing to avoid that drive with her cousin he had had a letter from his father the day before requiring his immediate return and she knew it suppose you take sally in the buggy and i will go in the carriage i don't like to leave liddy all day long i should be most happy said mr caruthers with a courtly bow to miss devereux he was smothering an oath but he was a gentleman you look it said sally satirically then turning her back upon him and shaking her fist surreptitiously at virginia she replied i couldn't think of it virgie dear i am to be prima donna of the quartet going home and you know you and liddy both sing alto this is one time that you couldn't fill my place you wretch she finished under her breath as she passed her so virginia trevilian had to take that ride in the moonlight with tom caruthers though on his face was the look that every woman shrinks from and wards off instinctively sometimes even when at heart she is glad what he said nobody will ever know for nobody heard but virginia and the moon and virginia was true and the gentle goddess had been confidant to too many lovers in all these ages to begin to betray them now she only looked down upon them and smiled and went under a cloud for a moment while virginia answered and came out again with a burst of light as if to show the poor fellow that it was a bright world a glorious world in spite of girls but he didn't see it they always think that is the end, end of chapter seventeen